0: Hebrews chapter 12, verses 11 through 17. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of a joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Turn to Matthew chapter 18, if you would. Matthew 18. We're going to look at verses 15 through 20, the context here, chapter 18. The disciples, they asked about being great in Christ's kingdom, and they had been taught by our Lord that the greatness, or greatness begins with humility. We need to be humble like a child. They had been taught to avoid sin and were warned about causing another person to sin, especially a new or weak believer here in chapter 18. But what if someone sins? What if someone goes wayward? Someone who says they're a believer and they begin to act like they're not? Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14, Jesus told the disciples of a a shepherd that had a hundred sheep and one went astray. And that one is so valuable to the shepherd that the shepherd goes out and seeks and looks until he finds it and brings it back to the fold. And Jesus said, every single individual Christian is so important that he is determined that none of them perish. Verse 14, look at verse 14 with me. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So today we're going to continue our study going after the wayward sheep. And Jesus here has stressed humility, and he's going to teach about forgiveness, but he did not say that sin should be just overlooked. Offenses have to be dealt with. So how do we deal with a, a straying sheep? The Bible says a lot about that. If you're taking notes, get ready. Romans chapter 16 speaks... To that issue. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 2, Galatians 6, keeping up, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 5, Titus chapters 1 and 3, Hebrews chapter 13, 2 John. Third John, all of these speak about confronting sin. And last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter five and we we learned why we point out sin in a wayward sinner's life. And why sometimes we have to disfellowship members from our churches. Do you remember from last week, Chris? You probably talked about that this morning. Well, first of all, we're commanded to. We're commanded to point out Sin. We're point we're commanded to make judgments about sin in one another's lives. We point out sin for the sinner's sake. The goal is that sinners would repent and come back to fellowship with the Lord so that sinner can live. It's we we point out sin for the church's sake. We don't want wayward sinners to contaminate the church. Defame the name of Christ. And also we warn sinners because we know that greater judgment is to come. But churches seldom discipline wayward sinners. Why is that? Why don't churches... Discipline church members who are wayward, who confess to be believers but live like lost people. I think several reasons. I think one is just the prevailing cultural virtue of tolerance has influenced the church. I think it influences us as individuals as well. But it's infiltrated the, the churches. We think to judge any behavior of sin is to, it's like we're throwing the first stone. It's perceived as unloving. And so what we do is we either accept their behavior or we overlook their sin. I think another reason is just because in America the individual is seen to be most important. The individual is more important than the whole. One person is more important than the group. I think you see that in our culture. I mean, think about players who play professional sports. Today, they don't play for their team loyalty. They play for their stat sheet, their stat line, don't they? I about, I was thinking about Larry Bird. Could you imagine him playing in a, in a Lakers uniform? You just can't imagine that, you know. But today, you have players. They just jump from team to team to team. There's no loyalty because the individual is what's most important, not the team. But Scripture, what, scriptures, what, what does Scripture teach us about that? I was thinking about Philippians chapter 2. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than ourselves. And we're also taught, we don't do things for our own glory, but we do everything as believers for God's glory. So it's not about us as individuals. It's about God and His glory. It's about the church, but that's not what's taught in our culture and that has of course influenced the church. Another reason the churches don't discipline wayward church members is because to be removed from one church, all a person has to do is just go down the street and they'll be received, no questions asked. When I when I first came to Beaver, we had quite a few people had that had moved on to different churches, and I was really surprised that no no one ever called me, no pastor ever called me to ask about any of these people who had, had been a part of the church and now they had moved. They never called and asked, like, why were they moving? Are they in good standing? Are there any issues we need to know about? Tell me about this person, their testimony, their walk. None of those things. We think that, that numbers equal success. The more people we have, the better the church is. The more the merrier, so to speak. And probably last, the last reason that I came up with um, is that the Scripture's not heeded. The Scriptures aren't our authority in life. and in, It's not always our authority in the church. But I, uh, I have to admit that practicing church discipline is neither easy nor pleasant. In fact, this is the part of my job I wish someone else would do for me. But the Bible, right, not our culture, not our feelings, must be our standard for faith and practice. And the Bible clearly teaches the importance of church discipline. In fact, some of the early reformers, they viewed church discipline as the third mark of a true church, the other being an expository preaching and, and taking the sacraments, which is baptism and, and the Lord's Supper. So when one sins against you and you can't overlook it, when a person is out of step with Scripture and they don't seem to realize it, when one has a rebellious attitude or when one is bringing shame to the name of Christ or to the church, we must point that out. Let's read Matthew 18, verse 15 through 20. Shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree about on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So, how do we deal with sin in the church? The first thing we do is we have a private conversation. We have a private conversation. This reproof, this correction needs to be done with uh, a few uh, a people knowing it's possible. And, and again, from last week, that doesn't mean that we point out every sin in each and every life. We're told to bear with one another. We're told to overlook an offense, and we're told, to, um, we're told that love covers a multitude of sins. We talked about that last week. But when we do need to point out sin, we do it privately. So if someone comes to you and says, so-and-so is involved in this particular sin, would you go with me and talk to them? What's the first question you should ask? Have you talked to them privately? Have you addressed this with them one-on-one in private? See, the goal is reconciliation. The goal is repentance. And if you go privately, and we do that, don't we? I'm looking around seeing many faces of people that I've went to, right? And you've come to me. We do that. That's just a habit. That's what we do. We go privately and point out one another's sin. And if if you see your brother repent, humble themselves, yield, then you've won your brother, the Scripture tells us in verse 15. If you listen to you, you've gained your brother. you won him. Mission accomplished, right? And we see that, that happens all the time, doesn't it? Now, sometimes a brother or sister, they don't respond, just like you don't always respond immediately. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're so right, and I was so wrong. I am so sorry. Let's pray. Now, that happens. But more, more times than not, that private conversation has to be had and then we we let that joker have two or three quiet times, right? And let the Lord. What's the Lord do? He puts. Sometimes he puts us in a full Nelson, doesn't he? And it takes a few days. So we we need to give grace and and do that. And we should do this regularly. And and. And I, I see that happening. It, it's growing. We're doing that more and more. We're growing and learning how to do that here at the church more and more. Jonathan Lehman. He's got a. We've got some books in the back. It's a great resource. I would encourage you. If you have some questions about church discipline after today, or I'd encourage you uh, to get it, it and, and read the book. It's on in the vestibule back there. It's free for you. It's a resource for you. Once you take that on the way out, just get one per family. But it's a book by Jonathan. Uh, Lehman, and he says this uh, about church discipline. Formal public discipline works best in a church culture where informal and private discipline is welcomed and practiced. Have you ever corrected a brother or sister? I'm not talking about your kids or your, or your spouse. They don't count. But just somebody in the church, have you ever corrected a brother or sister? Have you ever been corrected by a brother or sister in Christ? I hope so. I hope you could answer both those questions in the affirmative. But I hope that becomes something that we do more and more in our churches because it is needy. We talk about that all the time. Almost every Sunday. Why are we here? We're not here because we got it all together. We're here because we're needy. We're here because we have problems and we need help. So we come to church, we not only come to Christ, we come to Christ's bride, and we need help. The picture of of, of arm and arm, hand in hand, living life together. That's what it, the New Testament church is supposed to be. And when we have these private conversations, nobody needs to know about them. It's just one-on-one, right? And it didn't have to be this formal hunter. It didn't have to be this formal hunter. You and I got to talk. Sit down, man. You know, you have to do that sometimes, right? Just like you do with your children, parents. Sometimes you have to, hey, sit down. We, we got we to gotta have a talk. And you know it's serious. You can feel the weight of it already, right? But most of the time, these kinds of conversations we're having, it doesn't, it doesn't happen like that with me. It's just a pointing things out, you know? Hey, I'm, I'm harsh with my wife. A lot of times. How about you? How are you doing with that? So just, you know, being sensible about that and just pointing that out. And that's all Chris needs to hear. And if he hasn't been gentle with his wife, he's been harsh and I already know that, then, yeah, bro, I'm struggling with that. Okay. I'll, let's Let's ask each other about that issue from time to time. So it doesn't have to be this real formal thing. It's just a lot of times in casual conversation. But what if a a brother is unwilling to repent? You go to them one-on-one and they don't respond rightly, or they justify it, or that's not a problem, or that's not me, or blow it off. But then the the behavior, unchristian behavior continues. Well, the second thing we do is give a plural rebuke give a, a plural view. The scripture says, but if he's not listened, take one or two brothers along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. The rabbis used to say, judge not alone, for none may judge alone save one. That is God. And so we need witnesses sometimes. And, and there's really three reasons, I think, why this is important. First, um, it may be that, that I myself, if, if if I've seen something in someone's life, i point it out. They haven't responded rightly, and I'll take a brother. It may be that I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. Maybe the problem in, in John's life is not a real problem. It's just something where someone could say, you know what? I just think that's probably something we just need to bear with him about. That's not a big issue, as you're making it out to be. Possibly, possibly I could be an heir. When I see something in a brother's life, maybe it's not that big a deal, and I'm making too much out of it. Maybe I just need to drop it, let it go. Secondly, I think it's important to, to have uh, others go with us. Because sometimes one person, you know, you don't have much of an uh, effect, but you take two or three, it's two or three of you going, and they, they feel the weight of it. Whoa, you got someone else involved in this, right? Um, maybe that... that combination of of two or three people. That admonition coming from more than one may be what God used to bring that sinning brother to repentance. So I think it's helpful in that way. And thirdly, I think it's important because if the, the sinning brother doesn't repent and his attitude and behavior continues, then maybe we'll need witnesses when we bring that before the church. And this is keeping with Scripture. The Lord Lord Jesus, he quotes the Old Testament command in Deuteronomy 19.15. It says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity uh, that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And we see that in the New Testament about elders. A charge shouldn't be brought against an elder unless it's we have two or three witnesses. Again, if they repent, right? If we have an issue and I've gone... Individually, and there's no response, there's no yielding, there's no submission, there's no change, and then we take a brother or sister with us, there's three of us going, two or three of us going, and there's still no repentance, the behavior continues, then what do we do? Well, we take it publicly before the church. Verse 17, if you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. The sin's getting progressively more known, isn't it? goes from individual to two or three, and now before the church. Again, if the rebuke from the church is heeded, then guess what? You've won your brother. Praise the Lord. Mission accomplished, right? But even if the church, knowing about it, is becoming more and more public, there's no movement to attempt to line up with Scripture, then what do we do? Fourthly, we remove the unrepentant person from your fellowship, but we do this with authority of Christ. And if you refuse to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So that this church discipline process—it doesn't refer to like a group of Christian policemen, right, throwing their weight around, getting things done—but it's—it's a—it means God is exercising His authority in and through the local body to restore one of his erring wayward children and the purpose is always restorative right we're trying to restore him it's not retributive or we're trying to delve out punishment Mm -hmm. and notice verse 18 the the authority given to the church i say we we remove them from fellowship with the church we do that with authority and whose authority Look at verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's a enigmatic text for many folks, isn't it? Kind of a head-scratcher. What's that mean? Well, we... Matthew sixteen nineteen. Jesus already used this terminology with... He told Peter... I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the church has been entrusted with keys, and with keys come authority. If you take a note, write down John twenty twenty-three. we see that there is well. This binding and loosing, that's kind of odd terminology there, but it's just a Jewish way of saying forbidding and permitting. The church has the authority of heaven in permitting things and forbidding things. So who gave you the right to be judged? Nobody. But who gave the church the right to be judged? Jesus Christ, right? He is the the judge exercising his authority through the body of Christ, through the church. That's the picture portrayed here. The authority of God is given to the local church to represent Him in carrying out the instructions of His Word. The authority to to bind on earth is, really it's preceded by what is bound in heaven. The verb tense there is, such that the authority to lose something on earth is preceded by what has been loosed in heaven. So what we're doing, we're representing God, His authority in heaven. As we look to His Word, empowered by His Holy Spirit, we're doing what God wants us to do. If you're confronted with sin and you don't repent, and then you're confronted with a, a plural rebuke by several and more folks and you don't repent and then you're confronted by the church and you still don't repent, then the church can say your sins are bound on you. In other words, if it's muddy in the water here, you're living like a lost person. You're living like an unregenerate person who does not know Christ. And the church, with authority, can say that because we've gone through the process to determine that you're living like a lost person, based on the Word of God, you're going to be removed from the church. We're simply saying what the Father in Heaven has already said. In other words, the church is acting in, in the behalf of the will of God. God has given the church this authority. The Father in heaven is acting with us. The church is ratifying what is already true in heaven. But again, what's the great desire? The, the great desire is not to bind, but is to loose, right? It's Not to bind, saying, hey, you're, you're saying you're a part of the church, but you're really not living like a part of the church. You've got to be removed. But the, the desire is to be able to loose, isn't it? Saying, no, you're, you're a believer. We." We believe you're a believer and we're happy that you're a part of the the family of God. That's the goal. When we remove someone from fellowship, we're binding him. We're saying that this person isn't living a characteristically obedient life. He's acting like a lost person and he can't be in fellowship with the church. And the church has the authority to do that. That's why... I know some of you you are probably a little frustrated with me or frustrated with the process, maybe, or maybe me. But it's like becoming a part of the church here, it's a really slow process. Because it's not a deal where we just want to make sure you like us. I say that sometimes. But really what I mean is we want to know what you're like. Make sure you understand what you're getting into. Because this is a really, really big deal. Because it's not something you can just... You just jump into and you can just get out of like, like that. And, I talk, and I've said this to many of you. Hey, if you want to talk about being a part of the church family, just let me know. You know? But it's not something like, hey, you, gotta be a part, you need, really need to be a part of the church family. Like, no, is this something you really want to do? Because it's not something you sign up for and then you, you get out of tomorrow. Because it's not easy to get out of. And so our process is really, really slow. And know some of you are kind of like, well, come on, let's get this going it's really a big deal and there's a lot of churches to be involved in and most of them are going to be a lot easier to be a part of the church family than coming and being a part of the church family here but I think it's really really important because once you say hey I'm, I'm, I want to be a part of the church family and we receive you and what, what happens is I will if you haven't seen that happen here I'll, I'll recommending the church that we receive this person into the church family and then the church decides if they want to do that or not. That's a really big deal because like we said last week, just it's like baptism, right? Baptism, we're putting our stamp of approval on you and we're saying, yeah, we, we feel like this person is a believer. They're a born-again believer and they're going to give a public profession and we encourage them in that. We want to help them in that. And so when you have a wayward Supposed brother or sister who's not yielding to the Lord and they're acting like a lost person What we're doing is we're taking our seal of approval off of you and we're saying We're not real sure this person's a believer. In fact, they're living like they're not So if you look like you're a lost person, guess what? You can't be a part of the family and you can't take you can't take part in in table fellowship Taking the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is just for believers Yeah, it's kind of a weighty thing, isn't it, man? Oh, man! First time people, come back next week. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> We're in the book of joy. We're starting Philippians next week. Uh, yeah, it's heavy. It's weighty, man. It's it's really terrible. And ugh. Verse nineteen and twenty. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For two or three are gathered in my name. There I am among them. Sometimes, this, I think most of the time this verses are taken out of context. Context is what? Church discipline. And it's talking about binding and loosening. And the church has authority, right? And we're acting in authority of heaven, right? We're doing what God wants us to do. It's already, the verdict's already been passed. It's already taken place in heaven. We're just following the Lord's orders the best we can. But Christ here has assured us of His presence in such times. This agreement in prayer and the assurance of Christ's presence, it's given to the church when dealing with the issues of discipline. It's a, it's a time of grief and difficulty when the body must gather together and apply discipline to somebody they love and christ knows this so he assures us that the the father hears our pleas and and the lord's present with us and he he's he's there with us and and he's he's wanting to help us carry out the will of heaven in regard to church discipline christ has said you you have the full authority of heaven behind you you have the agreement of my father and supporting you in this what you're doing and you have me right in the midst that's authority that's the authority he's talking about there and after one's removed from fellowship what's the goal? the goal is always repentance right? yeah and if they repent what are we going to do? we're going to love the heck out of them we're just going to bring them back in right? Second Corinthians turn to Second Corinthians chapter 5 I'm sorry Second Corinthians chapter 2 real quickly if you've got the black Pew Bible, it's eleven forty-six. Page eleven forty-six, Saint Corinthians chapter two, verse five through eleven. You know, last week was kind of it was weighty too because you had this this sexually immoral brother who had to be removed from the church in Corinth because he's living like he's living worse than a a pagan, and so he was he was removed from the church. But now he's been removed from the church. And that's what happens. We do our, we we discipline, we do our part. Shepherding, ministering, shepherding people. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, you have to put somebody out. And then when we put them out, we've done our part. You know what? Then God does his part. And what's happened in this sinner, it seems like he's repented. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You remember the, the brother who had his father's wife, probably a his father father possibly had passed away and he had his stepmother and he'd her like his wife and of course that's immoral and wrong And he was removed now look at 2 Corinthians 2 verse 5 now if anyone has caused pain he has caused it not to me but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you for such a one this punishment by the majority is enough so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. See, if someone's outside the church because they're living like a lost person, they've been disciplined, but they they, re, they repent, we just we bring them back in and we, we love them. For This is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his design. So there's a there's a, a reaffirming this brother who's repented and that's a, a wonderful wonderful thing. In fact, we don't have time to look at it, but if you continue in Matthew chapter 18 after verse 20, you have the the parable of the unmerciful servant. And, and the 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 gist of the the parable is Treat people like you've been treated. God's been merciful to you. You should be merciful to others. So what what happens? When when we have this brother who or sister who repents after they've been disciplined, what do we do? We treat them like we've been treated. When you repent, you're yielding to the Lord, you're loved. Right? So we 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 reaffirm someone. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Morgan read that. That was our scripture reference uh, today. Verse 15. It's talking about discipline. Discipline, it doesn't seem, it's not fun at the time, but it's, it's useful and helpful for us. And then in verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now that, that no one, or it says no one fails to obtain the grace of God, what that means, it's kind of hard to understand, but what that's referring to is don't let a, a, a person who's lost, who, who, who hasn't repented, They're not a part of the family of God. Don't allow them into your fellowship. And then it says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. That root of bitterness, it's not a believer's attitude. That's what you think maybe when you read that at first glance. But no, what that's talking about is that's talking about a lost person in the church. Because you get a lost person in the church and what happens? It can cause a lot of problems in the church. Someone who doesn't have our purpose, doesn't have our goals. They don't have the same goals as we do. Doesn't have a helper, the Holy Spirit, that keeps them in check. Like we're talking about, you know, you have a couple of quiet times and, you know, Chris can point out something to my life and I'm, I get mad at him and defensive and, and fleshly. But then after two or three days of me just spending time with the Lord, what does the Lord do? He, he, he shows me that, yeah, what Chris has said right. So I get on Hey man, you're right. You're totally right. I'm totally sorry. Man, I've repented. Thankful for you pointing that out to me somebody that's lost that's in the church they don't have that helper and so you have to be really really careful that you don't have non-believers in your church family and and some of you may be thinking well you know we have a lot of people that come to our church we welcome everybody to come to church we do we want everybody to come on Sunday morning this is a time for everybody to come and be a part of worship. But everybody in here is not a part of the church family. And little by little, some of you have been, been coming and, and, and some of you are wanting to be a part of a church family. You're trying to figure out this is where the Lord wants you to be. But no, we welcome everybody to worship. But as far as being a part of the church family, that's that's different. That's just for believers. It's just for people who love the Lord and want to lock arms with us and live life together. So kind of by way of application, what does it look like for us here at Beaver in our church? How do we apply this? Well, firstly, we need to be really good at pointing out each other's sin. Excited about that? Yeah, right, yeah. It's like being excited about getting a cold sore, right? But we need to do that. Why? Because your pastor needs it, because I have clay feet. Sometimes I'm not thinking rightly about things, and sometimes I can't see my own sin. Stacy needs it, right? Chess needs it. Rodney needs it right Blake needs it Steve you need it Leon needs it we need that and that's the thing if you're not in fellowship that's the dangerous thing about not being in fellowship that's why part of our church covenant is like part of our church covenant you're going to be here a part of the body of Christ because if you're not in fellowship what what? that's a scary place to be because you you might not see your sin so we need one another pointing each other's sin out and like I said we're pretty gracious folks you know we bear with each other don't we we put up with each other we really do we have folks, man. I, people get aggravated at me more than you know. Or not No, I know. I'm mad at you right now, right? <laughs> we have to bear with each other. We have to put up with each other because we don't always handle things rightly. We're not Jesus, right? But we're all growing. And so we, we have to bear with each other. We have to love each other. And we really do. Um, so by way of application, we really need to be doing that, Point each other's sin out, you know? In your families, you need to do that as husband and wife, with your kids. But in church family, we need to be able to do that. Just point those things out. that. Not nitpicking, you know, being being gracious and loving. But that's what we do. We do that. You know what happens when you do that? It just kind of, you just grow to love each other more. Michael and I, we love each other more now than we ever have. You know, she's my cousin. She's, she uh, runs the office, takes care of things. But we have to do that sometimes, just kind of point, you know, things out. It's good because we I think it just kind of deepens our affects it for one another but by application we need to be doing that once the private conversation has happened and it needs to be private and that you need to have a plural rebuke once the plural rebuke has been given and there's no movement bring that bring that to me and let's see if that's something we need to we need to before the church. And so what's going to happen here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a family meeting. There'll be our, those that are part of our church family and we'll talk about a brother who seems wayward and we'll inform the church about this situation and then we're going to spend some time in prayer and we're going to pray and then um, hopefully we're going to have other folks to go to this brother and, and plead and, and try to help, and then after a time of prayer, we're going to come back together. And if there's no movement, there's no repentance, then we'll decide as a church. Our church policy says that we have to 75% of us have to decide. This is what we need to do. We need to disfellowship this person. And if that happens, then I'll inform I'll inform that person. I'll inform them of the meeting that we're going to have as a church family and then I'll inform them of discipline if that's what we decide to do and then I'll, I'll inform them of what that looks like so let me tell you what that looks like every, every person every case will be different because every attitude will be different so when we say we remove someone from our fellowship what does that mean exactly well one thing that means is they won't have table fellowship with us they won't take the Lord's Supper with us they won't be a part of a small group in our church table fellowship is just for believers you say well can they come to church can they just come to worship just like anybody off the street could just walk in and sit on the back row and come to worship it depends it depends on the person and their attitude And are they going to be divisive are they you know what's where are they at it just depends on the person but there'll be no table fellowship there'll be no small group And what we'll need to do is we'll need to treat them like a tax collector and a Gentile. What does that mean? Does that mean when we're driving down the road? I don't know about you. I wave it just about everybody. I don't know if y'all do. You know, sometimes you just sometimes it's the finger, sometimes it's the head and eye, sometimes it's the finger, you know, whatever. Does that mean you're going down the road and you see them coming and you act like you don't see them, you don't wave to them? No. What about in Kroger? You go down the aisle and there they are. You turn around and go down the other aisle. No, does that mean you don't talk to them at all? No. But when you talk to them, you know what you do. You talk about their their sin issue, and you ask them how they're doing. You tell them you love them. Tell them I've been praying for you. Hey, how is that going? Where's your heart? I've been praying that you'll repent. You don't. It's not running up to them and talking about if they if they caught fish or killed a deer or. How the kids are doing? Da, da da da. It needs to be that conversation needs to go directly to their sin problem, and we need to tell them, "I've been praying that you'll repent. We really love you, miss you at church. We're hoping that you repent and you come back to be part of us." That's what the conversation needs to be. And if they repent, what are we going to do? We're going to have a party. Like the shepherd who went after the wandering lost sheep. What did he do when he found it? He rejoiced. And we welcome them back into fellowship. But you know, it may be where they don't repent. We don't see that. We will take that to mean that they're not a believer. sobering and it's weighty, but God has given the church the authority to to do to take such action if need be in fact Revelation chapter 2 and 3 John he's writing to the churches some of them were tolerating sin in their midst and they weren't disciplining these people who were living like lost folks and John you remember what he wrote to them he wrote that the church didn't do something about that situation, what was Christ going to do? Do you remember? He going to remove your lampstand. See, the Lord made it clear that it was no good to Him to have a church that wouldn't maintain its purity. And that don't mean we're perfect, because we're not. If the church is unwilling to cut off people who are living... Immoral lives. The church is, itself is guilty of rebellion against the Lord and we don't want that to happen. So we discipline. It's an act of obedience to the Lord. And then God takes it from there. You remember Corinth? Some in Corinth, they had become ill and some had died because they were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner and the church did nothing. Nothing. The church did nothing and people were dying. So we need to deal with these issues as they come up. We'll talk about this again in two weeks. I want to encourage you as you leave, if if you still have questions or like some clarity or just like to study more, there's a book in the back. It's a little orange book. It could be helpful. I encourage you to get it as a family. If you're a family head, get that and read it. It's a short book. It's a real easy book, um, but I think it's 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 helpful. I think it's real clear. But, anyway, weighty thing, heavy thing, but something that we may have to do next week is joy Philippians. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. You came at a Uh, a weighty day a very somber day in our church but we want to be we want to be biblical we want to obey the Lord in all things Um, we want to do things rightly and we're trying to move towards that Wednesday's going to be fun we're family we've been doing a lot of work and um, Morgan has vowed to work overtime if need be to make sure we have that building open we're going to be um, hopefully finishing up some waxing today and tomorrow and moving things back into place on Monday and Tuesday. But Wednesday, we're going to have a little carnival. We do it every year. It's just kind of fun for kind of a fall fest kind of thing. We're going to do bonfire. and We're not going to do hayride this year, but we're going to do bonfire and piñatas. and Bring a family. Get, a, get a, a pumpkin and carve something if you're into that. I know the, the Moody's, they're all into pumpkin carving. I saw some of their work already. So you better be good if you're going to beat them. Bring a pumpkin. Carve something that has to do with the Bible and bring it. Be creative if you can be. If you have chili and you want to cook, I know Miss Edna, she's going to cook some chili. She said her chili's probably going to win. But if you want to bring some chili, we're going to give prizes for that. Uh, We're going to have a family portrait. Uh, We're going to be doing family portraits um, in the Family Life Center. So come dressed in your biblical um, costumes. My family, we kind of got a pretty creative idea. I'm pretty excited about that. But um, come, we're going to have a good time. It's, now, our Wednesday night, just because the, the, the Family Life Center has been closed down, we've just been meeting from 7 to 8. But this Wednesday, it's going to be 6, 6 to 8. So we'll have time to eat and uh, spend some time together. So 6 to 8 will be a good time. If it, it, it's a chance of rain, if it rains, we'll just have to play it by ear. We'll do the best we can do. We've got to break in that gym some, somehow, sometime. Might as well be Wednesday if it's raining. But anyway, anything else, Chris? Anything? Anything we've missed? Anything at all? Well, glad you're here. Been praying for you. Glad you're here, and um, praying the Lord will use this somehow in your life. Good, good music. So, we sang truth. We studied truth, and let's go out and live it. One of the things I, I encourage you to do is is to take seriously just pointing out others' sin when we need to, being gracious and loving, but but um, being obedient to the Lord and pointing out sin that we could be. Holy, godly people. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word and instruction on how to live and how to do church. Lord, we're thankful that we uh, have a desire to be here. Man, so many people, they could care less about being in church. They think it's a waste of time. But for us, we know it's important. We look forward to it. And and for many of us, there's no place we'd rather be. We're thankful for the love you've given us for one another and how you're, you're growing that love. And Lord, you're bringing people to us. Lord, families that want to be a part of, of of our church and they want to live life with us and we're excited about that. And Lord, we um, pray for this situation. Lord, it's on our hearts. We ask for grace that you would help us to be faithful to you. We pray for our brother that's um, in rebellion and we just ask for you to soften his heart that even today he would see his sin and he would want to obey you in all things. Father, we ask that you would be Um, merciful to us and gracious. Give us wisdom. You tell us, Lord, we we ask you to give us wisdom. You'll give to all without finding fault. And so we ask for wisdom to know how to to handle your business. Father, help us to be loving people who are willing to point out one another's sin and encourage. And Lord, help us to, to give that gentle rebuke, that um, sweet reproof. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be people who who love each other and, and point out sin. But Lord, help us to do it in a way that honors you. And Father, if there's anybody here that it's yet to repent, Lord, they, they can't as we sang that song, Lord, how you your your stripes and your wounds result in our healing. And there's some here who, who maybe can't say that. Maybe they're a child, maybe they're an older person. And they can't say that they're, they've been healed by Jesus Christ. I pray that you would allow them to understand that you love them. I pray that you would allow them to understand that Jesus died for sin. I pray that you would help them to see their sin for what it is. It's an affront. It's an abomination and you hate it. Lord, help them to see that you love them. Lord, may they repent and trust you today. May they trust Christ's work on the cross as their own and be changed today. Help us be the church you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.